Well, good morning, and my name is Eric Kelly, and I'm the operations designer here, and I'm so excited to talk with you today. I had a great time preparing for it, um, lots of conversations with friends and lots of conversations back and forth with myself about what I needed to talk about. And we're going to talk about this very strange, very peculiar, kind of a one-off um, event in the Gospels. It happens in every four accounts of the Gospel where Jesus goes up the mountain with Peter, James, and John. Um, he encounters in prayer. He ends up seeing Elijah and Moses, and then he turns glowingly, brilliantly white, and then the, uh, the cloud comes over them, and they all, the, the disciples are completely freaked out and afraid. And then God speaks out of the cloud and says, listen to my son. He is who he says he is. That's a slight paraphrase, but that's a, basically the point. And then the cloud lifts, and Peter says, oh my gosh, we should totally make shrines and, and, and remember the space and, and, and have a grand time of coming back here, maybe revisiting. Of course, I'm paraphrasing a bit here. And then they don't talk about it anymore, and they go down the mountain, and that's it. Well, one, it's just really strange, right? Jesus often went up prayer in the mountains, often took his disciples, and of course they fell asleep, just like they always do in this part of the story. But why? What's the point of telling that story and having it be told to us? Well, I think there's some three important elements for us to think about. I think that Jesus is revealing more of himself through the story. He's revealing more of the fullness of his plan, the kingdom of God, and he's also revealing that he is a story and that we can trust his story. So that takes place on a mountaintop, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to probably take about 10 minutes and tell you a story. Um, so you can sit back and relax and maybe take your shoes off if you want to. But this is a story about me and when I had a mountaintop experience uh, when I was younger. So when I was in my 20s, early 20s, I uh, was a counselor at a home for students who were severely sexually and physically abused by their parents. So they lost all parental rights. So these are kids from the ages of five up to 13. And it was tough work. It was very rewarding, but it was very difficult to hear their stories, to hear what they had been through, to hear what they have discovered life to be, to hear about their stories. So we would often um, do with these students trips and excursions and experiences. So we'd load up into a 13-passenger van and take them somewhere in Colorado. Uh, we went to Rockies games, we went to um, Broncos games and Nuggets. Um, what's the hockey team there? The, the Knights, what? Avalanche, I saw those people play. I'm not a hockey person. But um, it was fun and a good time with them, which seems so counter intuitive based on what they had come through and what they've experienced. But it was, a, it was a model, the social worker model, heavily based on group therapy, group dynamics, and we had some elements of outward bound in there where we'd take the students and, and have them do something physical, something uh, actionable, and it'd often have them reach a point emotionally that they wouldn't have reached before. So on one occasion, on several occasions, we took them hiking, but on one special occasion, we did something different than we'd ever done before. It was me and another person and about 10 kids, and we took them in the van. Of course, 
Um, I don't know if you know this, but kids in general are kind of naughty, right? They don't listen. And so um, throw in the factor that these students have suffered some tremendous trauma, there's an extra layer of naughtiness that happens. <clears throat> and in the case of these students and working with these students, anytime they all got together in a small space like this, there was fighting, there was cursing, there was throwing, there was um, hands being thrown, you know, and people would get upset and frustrated. And we had some rules around that. The rules were, you know, a timeout or a pause. You had to sit and be quiet, be on silence. You have an away timeout, which meant 15 minutes in the padded room. And then in the extreme cases, when students would become very emotional and very out of control, very violent, we'd have to hold them down therapeutically. If you haven't had any experience with that or have any kind of a context for that, um, there are some specific things you can do with students in that space that keeps them safe. You're not angry with them, you're not hurting them, but you're restraining them. And we did that um, often. And the response of that after we were done with that restraint the processing that happened after that point was marvelous. Like, you cannot believe what some of the kids would say to us and the response they would have to us after going through that difficult time. So like that, we're on the side of this mountain, and we go up. We all circle up, and we say we're going to walk through the foothills and then get to the, the harder parts of the mountain, the switchbacks. It'll be rocky. There'll be trees. Be careful. What are the rules? The rules are, one, you take nothing out of nature, and you leave nothing but footprints. That was our rule. Number two, any safety concerns, I will restrain you on the side of a freaking mountain, so don't even test me, right? And we had to do that sometimes. And then lastly, we said, make sure you have everything you need. You have your water, you've got your snacks, you've got your shoes on tight, you've got the layers, because of course, as you go up, you start off on the bottom part, it's nice and warm, and you're just a t-shirt. But then as you go up, you put on another layer and another layer as you get higher up into the mountains. So here we are walking with them, and we stop at one point, and we say, okay, take a look around, look at the rocks, pick up a rock. And they're like, oh, yes, pick up a rock. Oh, it's so exciting. It's so exciting because what's the rule? You take nothing with you. You only leave footprints. So they're like, oh my gosh, they're changing their minds. It's a little glitch in the system. We get to take a rock. So he said, pick up a rock and put it in your backpack. And, and they do. Some people picked a small rock, you know, beautiful, hold up to the light and shine. And of course, some people, like I probably would have, picked up a big rock, like, yeah, put it in my backpack. I'm going to take it home, put it on my dresser. It's going to be fantastic. And we walked. And it was hard. And the higher we got, the heavier their backpack, the heavier the rock. So lots of, and of course, kids, because adults aren't like this at all, right? Lots of complaining, lots of, oh, this is so heavy, this is so difficult, why are we getting the rock? What are we doing with the rocks again? Because they always know we had something up our sleeve, right? So um, we stop, we processed, we examined, you know, group therapy, talked about it. What is a rock? Why is it heavy? What are you feeling? How does it impact you? How are you going through your steps? Because we had levels the kids had to work through. And we keep walking. Here we go. Keep walking. Uh, walk up again, higher and higher and higher. It's getting cooler. Um, you, you know, you're, you're getting, feeling more dehydrated, even though you don't know it because you're not sweating. Um, stop, drink some water, process, examine. And uh, one student, little boy, 
Um, he's probably nine, very thin. And he's like, I don't, I, I don't want to carry the rock anymore. Of course, he picked a big one, right? And we're like, okay, group dynamics, group, what do we do? If he takes his rock out, we all take a rock out. If he keeps the rock, we all keep the rock. What are we doing? We're, we're keeping the rocks. Come on. You know, suck it up. Let's go. I'm like, okay. He's like, oh. So he puts his backpack back on, and we keep going. Higher and higher and higher. More moans, more cries, more frustration, more complaining. We stop again. We process. We examine. And people are like, oh, I don't know. Maybe just take these rocks out of the bag. This is ridiculous. I don't want to care anymore. I'm like, we're close to the top. Uh, the little boy, nine-year-old boy, is like, I, I just can't go on. And honestly, physically, he looked really tanked. Really, really, really tanked. And didn't look like he was going to be capable. So another group member, fine. Young lady, 13, tough as nails. Holy cow. She was tough. She's like, I'll take it. I think she could carry him if she wanted to. So she picks up his rock, puts in her backpack, goes on. We get to the top of the mountain, and we stop. Everyone's exhausted. We sit down. We take a break. We drink the water. We start to process. We examine. And we talk about, kids, the rock you carried was representing your story, your abuse. Now, in this culture of, of children, sadly, when they are perpetrated, they become perpetrators themselves. So in the cabin, in the place, we had no doors. Uh, they were with an adult all the time. When they slept, we'd have someone there walking in every 15 minutes because students would often abuse each other physically, sexually, verbally, emotionally. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 years old. Sad, it's, it's difficult to watch, difficult to see, but on the top of that mountain, we're like, this rock represents your pain, your frustration, your fears, your anxiety, your no hope of the future because of what's happened to you, what someone did to you that you didn't deserve. You can let go of that. Do not take on the responsibility of your perpetrators because you know what happens? If you do that, you continue the cycle of abuse, and you become the perpetrators. Now, they knew this because of the social worker model we had. We had therapists. We talked with them. But here is a physical example of them going through something that was arduous physically, emotionally. So we gather up. We circle up. And we say, we're leaving the rocks at the top of the mountain. By this time, they're like, okay, that sounds good because <laughs> it's heavy and it's hard. And we said, we're going to make a Karen, not K-A-R-E-N, Karen. But, of course, on hiking, there are some Karens out there, that's for sure. But um, C-A-I-R-N, which is you stack the rocks on top of each other, and it represents a signpost. It can represent direction. It can represent a memory. Something beautiful happens, something in- inviting. A trysting place, trysting meaning a beloved moment, a careful moment. So we did. We stood around those, we held hands, and we cried. And we said, this is where it ends. This is where you let it go. This is where you go back down the mountain and you become what you were supposed to be. And I don't know what happened to those kids. I know I've worked with them for three more years, and I have, I have no idea what happened to their history. Um, mostly they went into foster care. 
because they didn't go back home and they weren't getting adopted. But that beautiful story, that example, I think is present in what we see here in the gospel where Jesus is saying, guys, come with me. We're going up this mountain, which he often did with them. But I think very specifically in this moment, he's saying, I don't need, Jesus didn't need to go on the top of the mountain. Did he, did he need to go up there and see, see God and know who he was? He knew who he was. He said earlier in the week, eight days prior, a little more than a week, he said, I'm going to die. And I'm going to come back. And that's what I'm here for. And I'm sure that his friends were like, you are flipping crazy. You're the revolutionary. You're changing the world. The kingdom of God is you beating the poop out of the Roman. Let's go. Let's get this done. But he said, no, that's not the way this is happening. That's not what I'm doing. There's more. So he reveals more of himself to them by going up this mountain to this trysting place and speaking to Elijah and Moses and his father, And he does it to demonstrate that that's what we can do. We can go to these places and we can see more of Jesus than we had anticipated. Another important point, I think, that Jesus is making is he says, you don't know the plans I have for you. You don't understand them completely. There's more to the kingdom than winning. He's like the quintessential version of this is not a zero-sum game. It's not we win, they lose. He doesn't represent that. He represents something greater, something more sacrificial, something more beautiful, something that transcends the pain we experience, the frustration we experience, the fear we experience. He is on the mountain with his friends where his father says, listen to him, trust him. And he's like, there's more to be done here. We're going to come down off this mountain and more is going to be done. Of course, you know the story. And we can trust that Jesus will hold true to his story. He's like the ultimate plot Like, everything comes back around to, oh, Jesus. What he did, how he did it, where he did it, with whom, what he said. It all makes sense and will all make sense. That's what he was trying to tell them. That's what I think he was trying to demonstrate to them. I think about how the pain and fear and exhaustion of life can really push you into being ego-driven, yeah? And really point me into being less likely to love those that I've been given. And I think Jesus was also sharing with us in these moments, this one specifically. He said, if you are loving God and on your way to loving him, you love your family, you love your friends, you love your wife, your spouse, your, your brothers, your sisters, and then he one-ups it, right, and says what? Love your enemies. Wait, why does the story go wrong so quickly? What do you mean love my enemies? He says anybody can love those who are good to you, but love those who use you and hurt you and abuse you and take advantage of you. Love them. Now, love doesn't mean, like I step back in a social worker model, love doesn't mean relationship. It means letting go. 
caring for somebody else because of what they, they've done to you, they've abused you, doesn't, that doesn't say have a relationship with them. Forgiveness says, I release you of your debt to me. And then you move on. I think Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, is sharing in this example, we're going up the hill, we're having the experience together, but be careful. Don't gotify the moment. Don't make what happens in those difficult times or even those fantastic times become the thing you worship or the things you celebrate or the things you jump from one great experience to the next great experience. Well, if this, if this is bad here, then I must be doing something wrong. I must be off the mark. I, I don't know about that. Because life is hard and life is difficult. And as you are walking through life, you, and Jesus is next to you and with you and in you, you're going to go through some really difficult times. In fact, I would argue if you're a Christian living the divine life, saying, I believe in Jesus, I believe that he is who he says he is, your life's kind of going to suck even more. Because you're going to see in these moments what you could be doing and trusting that God is going to help you through the moments and they're going to use these moments to love again and again and again. And that's so difficult. But that brings me to the last point that has some very peculiar and particular parts to it. First off, I think I often forget who God is. <clears throat> forget that he's, well, God, like the creator of the universe. And he made it all. And he made me, and he made you. He knew you before you were even born. He knew exactly who you were going to be, where you were going to be, what you are going to do. And his love for you is so vast I mean, I love the Psalms that says, who am I? Who is man that he is mindful of him? Now, you know the, the sun is pretty far away. The actual sun, like the warm sun, which we see, well, today, but usually don't see in Michigan. <laughs> yeah. The sun is 93 million miles away. That's a long way. Not even in a hybrid could you get there. It's a long way away. The analogy is that if you think of the distance between the earth and the sun as being a piece of paper, right? That's the distance. Earth, sun, it's only the thickness of a piece of paper, right? And if you went from our sun to the next sun, it's a stack of those papers 75 feet high. Well, that's, that's, wow, that's a long way away. And the Milky Way, the universe, the vastness of it from one end to the next, I'm going to read you the number. Ready? It's 300 miles high, stack of papers. That's a long way away. Does anybody feel really small right now? Really kind of insignificant in some respects? And maybe we are small. And maybe we do feel insignificant. But God, God, His holiness, His beauty, he cares about you. He is mindful of you. The last point is that Jesus is living a story. When I think about Jesus living the story, I think about how he's perfected us by choosing to live in us through the Holy Spirit. And that we're the next level 
of his work. And that in the very moments that we accept and live the divine life by saying, I believe your story, Jesus. I'm part of that story. I'm going to help heal the world because you live inside me. You live in me. And I'm going to share that with people. I'm going to be that to people. I'm going to love my enemies. We're getting what he's saying. The kingdom of God is bigger than just you getting your way or getting what you want. There's a really difficult time uh, for me just, to, just earlier this year, middle of last year. Um, lots of difficulty, uh, some betrayal, some hurt that didn't go away. Um, I felt like the bottom was dropping out on what I was doing and where I was going, who I thought I was, the direction I thought God had me going in. A difficult time for my family, difficult time for me. And I like to journal, so I journaled about it, and I wrote something in my journal to myself. I'm going to read that to you. I'm not going to cry, darn it. Okay, you right? You ready? No crying. No crying in baseball. Here we go. <clears throat> if you spend your time focused on how you are not going to be hurt, on how you are not going to rely on the vapid fuel of anger and victimization to energize your actions, being self-guaranteed to not be controlled by anyone, you are being controlled by your ego. Your ego will go to no end to hurt others for the sake of power. You find yourself withholding gentleness, forgiveness, grace, and love to others, especially those in your family, you are terminally at risk of keeping the presence of God at the threshold of your life. The threshold of a house that belongs to Jesus. A place you only need to answer and welcome him back home. But instead, you stand on the other side of that door, a servant to the master, refusing to let him into his own home. And there you stay. And there he will stay. There, the redeeming power of Christ will become two-dimensional. There, your will, your ego, your selfishness will keep Jesus where he promises he will stay when you refuse him. You're dependent on your emotions, dependent on your fears, dependent on being self-led. Your passion for God will be weakened by your own negative will. And the fire of the Holy Spirit in your heart will be cooled by the streams of control you allow to be channeled there. A raging flood when you let loose the dam you built against Jesus to hold back the tide of your ego. And there you will find yourself in complete control and completely alone. We are his story. We are the continuation of Jesus' story. As the Holy Spirit lives and acts through our willing participation in the divine life, we partner with him. We are yoked with him. The students on that mountain, as young as they were, they understood something, that sometimes reality 
needs to be overshadowed by the ideal. And the ideal being that there's hope, and there's beauty, and there's love if we trust the story of Jesus. In our lives, when we have experiences that change us, what are we going to do with them? How will we let the story of Jesus teach us? How will we allow Jesus to write and rewrite our story? We stop, we process, we examine, and we put the rock down. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we have access to a power we cannot understand but we believe. And you are changing us from the inside out as we allow your spirit to work in our hearts and to move out into our hands and feet and our words and our mouth. I pray that as we go through this week, you remind us continually in all of your beautifully divine ways that we are yours. We are yours. And you love us. And because of that, we can do mighty things, and we can forgive, and we can move past moments that would hold us down. We love you, and we bless you. And in Jesus' name, amen.